This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody, wherever you are and whenever you are. This is Trevor. Meanwhile, Paul. Paul, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. I'm licking my wounds a little bit. I've been uh, chronicling the Colorado Avalanche's ups and downs through the playoffs, and last night we had a chance to finish it off and get the cup, but they didn't pull it off. So I'm I'm doing okay, but maybe a little bit, uh, you know, a little fragile this morning. Well, that's why we do this podcast. It's for exactly. therapy. So yeah, I, I need it, and it's much needed today. So, yeah, <laughs> perfect. And fortunately, we have a guest today, Mark Haber. Mark. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, uh, Trevor. I'm doing good. And, and hello, Paul. Uh, hey thanks for having me. I'm doing well. So, listeners, let me tell you a little bit about Mark so that you know who he is. Mark, uh, you've come up on the show a few times in the past just because Paul and I have both, uh, you know, I read St. Sebastian's Abyss um, earlier this year and I loved it. And I'm not just saying that to flatter you, I thought it was fantastic. And very fitting for the publisher we're talking about today, even though, you know, it, it's a coffee house book. It just has a feel to me of mm-hmm. the, you know, new directions, which we'll be talking about. But I, I digress. I, I'll, I'll just read your blurb here and then we can chat a little more. Uh, Mark Haber is the author of a 2008 short story collection, uh, Deathbed Con- Conversions, and the novels Reinhardt's Garden, which was long listed for the 2020 Penn Hemingway Award and the recently published St. Sebastian's Abyss. Uh, he is the operations manager at Brazos Bookstore in Houston, Texas. And you've had nonfiction that has appeared in the Rumpus, Music and Literature, and Lit Hub, and also fiction that has appeared in Southwest Review and Air and Light. And, um, you know, I, I know there are rumors that you were shortlisted for the Nobel Prize this year. Uh, I think you started those maybe a couple minutes ago when I was asking how you wanted me to to uh, introduce you. Is that? <laughs> but but we'll go word, with it. Word on the street. I mean, I you know I'm I'm only passing on things that I've heard. You know, I keep my ear <laughs> around and uh, you know just the, the the buzz. The gossip is that I was shortlisted for the for the Nobel Prize. So yeah. <laughs> well, now it's gonna we're gonna think it into being. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> well, another rumor that I've heard is that he might be uh, doing a little extra research here for. Uh, you know, there's a tentative title for an upcoming book, something like Trevor's Folly or Trevor's Podcast or something like that. So I don't know if that's true, but we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. So again, work in progress. <laughs> oh, man, that kind of brings flashback. So uh, Mark and I just reconnected. We were both judges on the 2017 Best Translated Book Award, which was for books uh, in translation published in 2016. And one of those was Bottom's Dream by Arno Schmidt. So you say that, Paul, and I'm like, that. <laughs> that would be my folly right there, you know, that, that book and that that layout and that mess and um, mm-hmm. that, you know, really confusing stuff. That does feel feel right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, anything else, Mark, that you, you'd like uh, listeners to, to know a little bit about you or things that you've got going on? Um, not really. Um, you know, my second book, as you mentioned, came out, I guess, wow, last month. And uh and that's it. I'm just I'm working at the bookstore, selling books, a lot of them from uh, small independent presses, a lot of works in translation, things that I know you gentlemen love. And uh, uh, just trying to do my small little bit and, uh, you know, spreading things that uh, I'm passionate about uh, and working on a new book and a short story and things like that. I have a story coming out in uh, Guernica, I think, later in the summer. And that's it. Awesome. That's it, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't have kids. So, you know, I, my wife and I have a kitten. So that allows me time to do this. If uh, 
Yeah, if I think if I had children, I don't know if there would have ever been a Reinhardt's Garden or St. Sebastian's. Event. These people who write and have kids, I'm like, how do you do it? So I, I am busy, but I also have it easier than a lot of people. So, Well, I am glad to hear you're working on a new book. I won't press too hard, but that is exciting and, and good Thank news. You. I, hope it's, I hope it's going well. Look it is. It, it is. Thank you. Thank you. And as I've said before to listeners on this show, if you ever need a really good book recommendation, Mark, I mean, he has put so many awesome books into my path. And if you get a chance to order from Brazos or reach out to him personally, I mean, he's emailed me great lists of books and all kinds of stuff. So I would definitely recommend doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's actually even go there. Mark, usually at the beginning of these, Paul and I ask each other what we've been reading. Yeah. And so I'd love to ask you, what have you been reading that you'd recommend to listeners? Absolutely. Well, it's funny because a lot of times customers come to the store, what are you reading? And being a bookseller, you get these advanced copies. So it's one of these things sometimes where it's like, oh, I'm loving this book. You're going to have to wait five months, you know? But tied into our subject today, I've been just finishing, um, you know, New Directions is coming out with this uh, in August, these storybooks. These are like kind of large format children books. They look like children's hardcover uh, storybooks. Um, but they're, they're short or long, you know, long, short stories from their typical authors, Caesar Ira, Crasto Horkai. So I'm just finishing the Laszlo Crasto Horkai book. It's called, um, Spade Works for a Palace. And it's fantastic. It's just, it's really bizarre and funny and strange. It, it feels very much like a Thomas Bernhard book. Um, the main character's name is Herman Melville without the E at the end. He's a librarian at the New York Public Library. And he has this connection, he feels, obviously, to Herman Melville. And he kind of walks the streets of New York, kind of following in the steps of him, along with um, Malcolm Lowry, who was, I guess, a fanatic of Herman Melville. And, um, and it's strange and weird and funny, and, and I absolutely love it. Um, the book I finished right before that is another one coming out from the Dorothy Project um, called A Horse at Night. And it's nonfiction, and it's by Amina Kane. And it's just on writing, and it's thoughtful and beautiful. And um, it's not analytical, which I like. I'm not, I'm not really an analytical person. So she's writing about fiction and writing and tying in art and experience and her personal life in a way that feels very natural. And um, it's one of these kind that's, uh, it's like, I guess you'd say it's literary criticism, but it's not super, it's super smart, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's unpretentious, it's unadorned uh, and feels very natural. And I love it. I love it. Um. I think I have a copy of that one. So I'll it's, have to jump on that one right It's away. really easy to read. And when I say easy, it's just you fall kind of right into it. It's very conversational. And I, I emailed her and I and I to thank her. And it's not to be hyperbolic, but it's very life-affirming. Because it's one of these books that says, if you've kind of chosen a life of words and ideas and books, and some people go, well, that's kind of strange. She's kind of telling you, no, it's this is, this is, that if that's the life for you, that's a worthy life. So it's it's a beautiful book. That's cool. And yeah. a little bit back on the, the storybook uh, ND line, the New Direction storybook. I, I got the and, and read the new Ira that they're putting out in that, the yes. famous magician. Yeah. Oh, man. I loved that. Me too. And, Those are the two I've read. I'm finishing <laughs> it. I read, yeah, I had to go right to the Ira. I love the Ira too. Awesome. That that looks like a, it's such an interesting line. Yeah, I did not, when I got that in the mail, I did not expect to be holding like a, you know, a broadsheet newspaper size right. book. Yeah, and I guess the finished ones will look kind of like, you know, they'll be hardcover and that mm-hmm. kind of gold spine looks, looks like kind of mm. like children's storybooks. So yeah, there's something magical about them. So 
They're gonna make us buy all all of them, aren't they? I know. <laughs> they are. They are. Did either uh, of you ever read that Krasnohorkai book on Melville called the yeah. Manhattan Project? Yeah, yes. that just reminded mm-hmm. me when you said that. That was an odd but very intriguing book. It was, and I think when you read this, I think that book was made while he was doing research to write this story. You know, I was it, wondering. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think they're kind of connected in a way. Yeah, I mean, they definitely are. So, um, but it's a really good book. It's it's um, it's strange and very funny. Um, the the the, the narrator's a librarian at the New York Public Library, and he complains about his fallen arches and. It's very strange and funny, and uh, I, I really like it. And also, you know, pretty profound. So, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Paul, I'll ask you the same question. What have you been reading? Yeah, I've been reading a book that I've had my eye on for a couple years, I think, since it came out, and I finally just ended up getting it from the library, and it's called The Book of Unconformities, Speculations on Lost Time by Hugh Raffles. Man, it is, it is a good, good book. It's um, Basically, it's about the author it's ostensibly about the fact that the author lost both of his sisters within a fairly short period of time. They both died. And that's what he goes into in the epilogue. And I'll just read a little brief snippet from that because I think it's really good. He says, I describe here encounters with people, places, and things, which helped me recognize that although my sister's deaths were only minor horrors in the history of the world, for those closest to them, even minor horrors transform all that follows that the world's greatest horrors, too, are composed of personal loss and unresolved grief, that even the most solid, ancient, and elemental materials are as lively, capricious, willful, and indifferent as time itself. And so he goes on from there in a really good epilogue, or a very good prologue. But yeah, if that's kind of the premise of the book. But have you read that one, Mark? You know what? I, it's going to sound like I've read everything and I haven't, but I have read that book. Yeah. Um, if you guys know Chad Felix from Two Lines Press, he mm-hmm. was raving about this, uh, I think, last year. I'm like, I got to check this out. And obviously, we had some at the store. And it's really incredible. And, um, you know, I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but it's it's great how he makes the personal kind of universal. And it's, yeah. it's a book about, like, rock, rocks, you know, and, and geology, but it's so much more. Yeah. I know. It's really fascinating. It, it ticks a lot of boxes for me because I've talked before about how I really like that, like, uh, deep time that Robert McFarlane writes about. Yes. And, and, you know, I'm not a geologist. I'm, I'm very much, I like geology from a very pedestrian point of view, but it's fascinating sure. to me. And I really like, you know, he'll, he'll, he starts out in Manhattan and he starts describing the rocks that build the foundation of the Island. But then he starts pulling in like the terrible history with the Lenape people and how they were taken over. And so each one of these sections has a different name, a subtitle for a type of rock. And he'll jump around and look at it like a meteor, or he'll go to Iceland and all these things, but each time he will start with some geology and, you know, definitely focusing on the rocks, but then he pulls in like the people who have been wronged in that area. And, and like you said, his own personal reflection. So I'm probably about two thirds through it and it's just fascinating. And there's, you know, pages and pages of footnotes at the back, which, you know, you can go off on all these rabbit trails and everything. So like you said, I don't read a ton of nonfiction, but this ticks a lot of the boxes for the type of nonfiction that I just love. I love so, it. Yeah. yeah, that's gonna. I think when you're finished, that'll be one of your favorites. It's it's really cool. Really yeah, great. absolutely. I agree. It's really good. So, yeah. How about you, Trevor? Awesome. What are you reading these days? Well, so I just started last night uh, New Directions book two. Fittingly, it's Yoko Tawada's Scattered All Over the Earth, translated mm-hmm. by Margaret uh, Mitsutani, and. I like Yoko Tawada's writing a lot, but sometimes I don't like her books. (laughs) I actually felt that way about one that was up for the Best Translated Book Award, Mark, that we, it was Memoirs of a Polar Bear. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, th- I remember it that year. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. really thought, man, this is so well written. Right. I really like the book, though. Um, I always like that, too. I'm, I'm, her work, <laughs> I'm very conflicted. Yeah. Part, yeah. Parts of it, I want to like it more than I do. Yeah. Have you read this one yet? Scattered I all over not, the world? No, I haven't. I'm intrigued by this one because apparently Japan has had a, a climate disaster and it's just no longer there. And so all of its citizens are dispersed as refugees all over the rest of the earth. And it kind of is them in these various cultures learning um, how to get back into to life. But talking about linguistics and such, it's very interesting. The opening chapter is a person in Denmark who's watching on television when they're interviewing like people from the, the GDR or the Soviet Union or Yugoslavia who are like, I don't have the country I was born in doesn't exist anymore. And then this woman comes on who's from this little island somewhere east, you know, that some for some reason has disappeared. You know, it's very vague. And she has this interesting way of talking that is incorporating all of these various languages from uh, Scandinavia. And so he wants to go and meet her and talk. And I'm like, this is so interesting. And, and I am really enjoying this one. Good, good. But, so I'll, I'll I'll keep going with it for sure because yeah. I've been I've been intrigued. I, I'm always intrigued by her work just again because I'm like it might just be me, um, sure. and I'm but I'm happy with happy with this one for sure. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've picked it up and looked at it a few times. I'm intrigued as well. So you have to let me know what you think when you're finished. Yeah, I will. And you know, of course, with New Directions book, I mean, it's just so nice to hold. It is such wow. a solid, beautifully produced book. And that feel, so, yeah. Pleasure. And it <laughs> looks really bright cover. Like I, uh-huh. one thing I've noticed is some of their covers are just so striking, you know, bright colors or, or really like nice contrast and things like that. Yeah. Really nice job. They do. So I've got just a little tiny, tiny bit of housekeeping and I'm going to burn through this as fast as possible so that we can get to the heart of the episode. Um, but for people who are uh, curious Paul and I did do a Patreon episode for June like we've been doing and released that last week we play a game of bookshop roulette which was a lot of fun and um, would recommend people uh, you know uh, who are curious uh, sign up on Patreon it's available for people who sign up at any level um, as all the bonus uh, bonus episodes will be Um, I also want to welcome a couple of new Patreon supporters we have Sean the book maniac Paul, both of us have shown up on his YouTube channel. Um, And Nancy Morrison. Thank you so much to both of you. Um, I'm I'm really speeding through this uh, again because I want there's there's a a lot we want to get to in this episode. Uh, But I also want to talk about A Lost Lady, which won the Mooks and the Gripes Summer Book Club by Willa Cather. Um, So we will be talking about that on Saturday, August 6th, with the episode going out on August 11th. Um, so we'll be reading it towards the end of July, it sounds like, and mm-hmm. hope people can join in and we'll try and think of ways to make that interactive, but just wanted to announce the date. It'll be in our newsletter as well. Keep so. an eye out. We'll probably come up with like a hashtag or something so that people can kind of use that in their tweets and, you know, chat about the book as well. So there's, there's some of that housekeeping. I have one more item of housekeeping that we'll do in the middle of this episode, it's a giveaway from New Directions, so uh, you know people can can listen for that. I <laughs> I'm very excited for that. I am too. But let's get to New Directions. Uh, New Directions is it, it's it's a legendary publisher, uh, independent publisher, celebrating over eighty years of publishing. It's a, always a delight to get their catalog, and I've been following them long enough that I remember getting like 
the catalog that had a big 70 on the front and then the one that had a big 75. And so it's getting a little scary to see their numbers growing. (laughs) (laughs) It means your numbers are growing too. Yes, exactly. But Mark, you are the perfect guest guest for this episode. I don't know anybody else who has loved a publisher as much as you have in order to get a, if you don't mind me disclosing this, a tattoo of their colophon. So we wanted to give you a chance to tell us about New Directions. You've done this before on LitHub. I've linked to your article several times in the past Mm -hmm. as we've kind of uh, built up to this episode. Yeah. You know, you you are very knowledgeable about them and I think very, um, you know, a big fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess as the kids say, a stan. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, no new directions. I'm, uh, the reason I got a tattoo, and I mean, I didn't get a tattoo. I never in a million years thought I'd get a tattoo. Um, and when I started working at Brazos Bookstore, they had these. Um, we, you know, you order tchotchkes and stuff for bookstore, and they were these, um, uh, you know, temporary tattoos. And two of the girls that work in back are like, Mark, put one on your arm. And I did. And like four or five days later, after having it on, I came home. I'm like to my wife, I think I want to get a tattoo. <laughs> and then the question is, well, what are you going to get? So I think there was a month or two where I kind of pondered and I didn't know. And then suddenly, I don't know why I was probably walking around the bookstore, or walking, looking at my books at home. And as soon as I thought of the colophon for New Directions, it was like uh, a no brainer. Like, oh, of course, because to me, that 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 symbol on the spines of the books, looking at books when I was, you know, at the end of high school or just out of high school and college symbolized so much for me, you know, and I think they introduced me to, you know, outside thinkers, outside books, innovative literature and poetry. Um, but as well as the importance of translation, you know, I, I, I started reading these works and going, wow, someone else had to render this into English. You know, I think that's when translation kind of dawned on me, the importance and the, and the, you know, the, the, the importance of, of translation. And I learned that I think you're reading New Directions books. That was my first memory. So, yeah, the tattoo is kind of symbolic of just things that I, I really love. So, as as well as the press itself. Yeah, and they're fantastic people too. Um, w- when I was living in New York, uh, I went to lunch with uh, with Barbara uh, Epler great. and Laurie Callahan. Uh, just to talk about New Directions, I, I don't have any idea why they invited me. I'm sure it was not valuable to them. They probably marked it off after at the end of the day as like, well, that was a waste of time. But it certainly wasn't for me. I had a blast picking their brain. And I remember Barbara kind of talking about, you know, everybody, not everybody, they're, they're, they're us, right? But a lot of people look at their books or books in translation as kind of an eat your vegetables book. And their books are so fun and oh, yeah. funny and frenetic yeah. and crazy and absurd and yeah. that it, it's an absolute delight and dessert. And so, yeah, I want to make sure that that gets thrown in too, because they, they do have great translators who they work with to, you know, reading even just this scattered all over the earth. And I know Barbara does a lot of, of great editing as well. But the, the language, the way it's written is so nice and crisp and yet fun. It's yeah. just fun. It's just, it's so nice. And so, you know, they're very concerned, at, well, they, they were anyway, about that reputation. You know, a lot of their books are available as, you know, they've been publishing for so long that this is where a lot of books people might read in college come from. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're reading uh, some of their, some of their, their main authors, Right. That's that's what you're reading in college, but 
man, they're they're just publishing such fun stuff. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Yeah. The things that we've loved, but and you make a good point. Just the, the fact that yeah, it's not just the vegetables. They're very fun. I don't, I don't think they take themselves seriously. They mm-hmm. take the books obviously very seriously. Uh, and then when you pick up a lot of their books, like when you just picked up the the Yoka Tawada, they're they're almost like objects of art. I mean, there's an aesthetic yeah. here that um, a lot of publishers I don't think bring bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and they do such weird. You know, they're they're not all. I do love like NYRB Classics. You oh know, yeah. They, they, and you can see them all on the shelf. I would be hard pressed to find all of my new directions on my shelves because they're always different sizes and different fonts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, you know, you've got your iras that sit on my shelf in one place that are one size. And then you get the end, the ND storybook, which is another IRA that's like a kid's book size, you know? So they, 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 they shake it up quite a bit. They do. They do. That's, that's one thing I was going to mention is unlike archipelago or NYRB, where if I'm in a bookstore and I'm scanning and I can kind of just pick them out instantly, sometimes that'll happen with new directions, but not quite as often. But what I'll find is, whether it's people recommending great books to me or me just picking up a book and start reading. And then I look down, Oh, this sounds awesome. Who, who's, who's publishing this? Oh, new directions. Like of course. they just show up again and again. And it's amazing. Yeah. Just the breadth. And I was jotting down a couple words that I thought about when I think of them or after I read one of their books and I was thinking eclectic yeah, and then flummoxed was one I wrote. Cause a lot of times I'm like unsettled or unsure, but then exhilarated came right after yeah. that because to you guys' point, they're so fun and exciting and, even if you don't always understand every aspect of what you read afterwards, it's almost just like a rush, you know, which is so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, my first memory of New Directions would be finding um, Zabald's books on the shelf at a bookstore mm. and thinking, this looks fantastic. What is this book? Opening it up and seeing, you know, pictures and such. And that's when I realized, oh, these are published by a place called New Directions. And yeah, they just... They, they mean so much to me too. Um, Another thing that I really love about new directions is the way that they work with authors over a long period of time. Mm. It, you know, we're picking out for today's episode toward the end of it, our three, you know, recommendations or three, three books from new directions to recommend in, in every single case, I picked an author who I could have picked 10 other books because they've mm-hmm. published so many by, you know, Bolaño, by um, Zabald, you know, uh, for a while there, by uh, Anne Carson, Javier Marias, Krasna Horkai, yeah. um, the authors that I'm sure most of us are talking about today, probably they've published others, and they work with them for for a long period of time. You can really get to know an author's um, oeuvre, yeah. oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> as, you, as you go and, and get to know new directions in it. That's a delightful part, too, is... I don't know if they I don't know if they would call it author development because but, but but you know it's kind of that nice feel from a from a publisher that they they stick with authors and bring you out a lot of books by them. Well, and yeah. they champion them too. It's like they really believe in them, like you said, and and they do a good job of giving them a platform and elevating some of these people. Some of them are already you know very well known, but other ones they've helped develop them, like you said. So absolutely. Cool. And they're very small. I mean, I, I, I think uh, James Laughlin, who, you know, was the founder, I think it's in the bylaws or the, I mean, they can never be more than like, I think maybe 10 employees. So they do a lot with very little, you know, I think, uh-huh. I think, and I could be wrong, but I, I'm assuming everyone there wears lots of hats, you know? Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah. Have you been to their offices before, Mark? Have you had that a opportunity? Times. Yeah, a couple. Yeah. I've, 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 uh, Barbara's actually come down um, and and uh, and joined us for a couple events at um, at Brazos. Um, there's a, a a translator who's translated many books for them. Who lives? He's from Houston. Uh, lived in Europe and Poland for a while. He's translated Kafka and from German and Polish. His name's Philip Baim. He's he's become a dear friend, but he's a Houston native, and. Um, so he uh, he read from a book that was coming out from New Directions about two or three years ago. It was before the pandemic, and Barbara came and joined him, and it was it was a great event. So long way around to saying I have been in their offices, yes, <laughs> awesome. yeah, which is just iconic. So yeah, it feels like uh, literary history. It does. Um, when I first the first time I went, Laurie got bags and basically said, "Look at all of these shelves and let me yeah. know what you want." And I remember taking the subway home, and I am. <laughs> I mean, totally filled. Like my bags are are overflowing, literally, yeah. with these books. And I I still look at my shelves and 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 remember. That's where she gave me "Melancholy of Resistance" by Crash oh, Book. Yeah. I'm like, thank you, Laurie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, the well, infamous book room. <laughs> well, so let me uh, introduce the giveaway because I imagine we can keep talking about new directions in general as we introduce our books, and I I want to make sure that we. We get to that point without having to rush it, but we do have a very special giveaway. Um, I reached out to them uh, just to see if they'd be interested, and they said, absolutely. In fact, let's do a few. <laughs> so nice. we have three three prizes today, and to enter to win, I'll, I'll tell you what the prizes are here in a minute, but to enter to win, you've got to send an email, just like we have in the past. Send an email to mooksandgripes at gmail.com. If you're having trouble Please, you know, DM me on Instagram or on Twitter. We'll, I want to make sure you can find a way to enter. I don't want this to be a, a hurdle. But, you know, email uh, mooksandgripes at gmail.com. Um, you can put in the subject line, New Directions Giveaway. If you don't, it doesn't invalidate your entry. It just, you know, I, I figured this might be an easy way for me to keep track. Um, but you have to enter in your email by doing, again, two things. One, look at the New Directions backlist and pick a book that you love and tell us what it is and why you chose it. Um, and the alternative is that if this is the first time that you're exploring New Directions books, look at their backlist and see if there's something that intrigues you from that and tell us what it is and, and why it intrigues you. It doesn't have to be long. Um, these can be brief, but I'd, like, I'd love to hear that. Um, the second part of your email, I would like you to look at their upcoming releases. Um, and pick one that most intrigues you and tell us what it is and why. Um, each email will count as one entry. I used to do this as two entries, but everybody enters both. So it really is like, doesn't doesn't really increase anyone's odds of winning. <laughs> so just one entry, please put both of these things on it. We will be choosing a winner on the morning of Saturday, July 9th. Um, this is limited to U.S. addresses only. Um, you know, I, I get it. There We have a lot of international listeners and I'd love for you to be able to enter, but international shipping rates are horrendous, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm not I'm not able to to offer that to you this this particular price. But I think in the next few weeks we'll have ones that will work for for international listeners as well. Well, so the three prizes, the three things that you can win, and we'll just pick a, a winner for prize one. We'll pick a winner for prize two, and a pick a winner for prize three. It will not be the same person, um, but one winner will win what may be considered the grand prize. It's a year's subscription to their new Classics Club. 
That's one book a month. And uh, the New Directions editors pick the pick what book they're going to be sending to their subscribers that month. So that's that's one prize, uh, you know, basically Christmas every single month yeah. <laughs> for a year. <Wow. laughs> um, the next prize will be one of their latest releases. Um, it's I'm not going to say this name even close to right, but Aliard Bakarevich. Uh, does that sound right, Mark? Do you know how to say that name? I know, but that sounds good. <laughs> well, the book is called Alindarka's Children. It's translated from the Belarusian by Petra Reed and Jim Dingley. And it's got a great cover that looks like a cross-stitch of some like kind of somewhat sinister children's scene. <laughs> mm. I love the look of this book. Um, <clears throat> so that that's the second prize. And then the third one is a book that, Mark, you yourself picked. I asked you to, to select a book that we could have um, New Directions give away. And one that you chose is Matthias Enar's Compass. Oh, yeah. Translated um, by Charlotte Mandel. Speaking of a book, when that hardback arrived, it is such a beautiful cover. And the, the, the glistens, you know, yeah, on the it's shelf. Stunning. It's stunning. And I love that book too. Me Holy too. cow! Um, if you hadn't chosen it for your giveaway, I might have chosen it for one of my three books to talk about. Sure. But we'll we'll let people discover it if they win it. <laughs> I love it. So those three prizes, um, we will wow. have the information about this in the newsletter as well. Um, that you know, and goes through each of the prizes. But I hope folks, uh, you know, are paying attention and yeah, enter to win. Take advantage. That's amazing. <laughs> That is. That's great. So, is All Mark right. allowed to enter? That's the other question, I guess. <laughs> I, I imagine, Mark, probably you don't need to enter, but I, I don't have any limitations. Paul, it's you that I'm always like, how many of these are Paul with various right. uh, various <laughs> disguises? <laughs> yeah, we've talked before about my various mustaches and glasses and ways to kind of sneak in. but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, another way to keep talking about New Directions is to now focus in on some of the books that have brought us joy over the years that we want to, we want to highlight. Um, I'm sure that this was not easy for any of us to do, but Mark, why don't I ask you to start? We'll, we'll each say one and then we'll go on to our second one. Yeah. But I also kind of like to hear, what did you do to, to think of the three that you chose? You know, what are these your three absolute favorite all timers? Or was there some other bits of criteria that you were using to figure out what to, you wanted to talk about? My criteria was to uh, kind of avoid the ones that if people knew me or people who do knew, know me would surprise them. So I didn't pick any Bolaño. Um, as hard as it was, I didn't pick any um, Ira. In fact, out of the three, I only picked one uh, translated from the Spanish. And as anyone knows, I love Latin American literature and literature translated from the Spanish. So I tried to do ones that were um, not really deep cuts. These are fa fundamental books for me. Um, but maybe not the, the first or second one that you expect uh, if you knew me. Um, but ones that are very, very, to me, important. And I think important to their to their list. Oh, awesome. I think that's a good yeah. criteria. I do yeah. Too. So what's, your, what's the first one you want to bring up? Okay, the first one I'm going to bring up is um, Death on the Installment Plan by Celine, mm. um, who is obviously a very, mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know what you'd say. He's a very a divisive or divisive author. Um, his personal life and his, his books can be, you know, spoken about endlessly. Um, but when I was speaking about the Colophon and, uh, you know, the early books in the 70s and 80s, not early for them, but, you know, decades ago, they were a lot of times black and white. And so I, I remember seeing this title, Death on the Installment Plan, 
seeing the colophon and it just stuck with me. Um, and then, of course, I, I think these were the books, Journey to the End of the Night and then Death on the Installment Plan, I think were the books that opened my eyes to translation. Um, Ralph Mannheim was the translator from the French, and now there's a Ralph Mannheim Award for translation. Um, and I probably read him at maybe even too young an age, like probably 18, 19. I mean, Celine goes there. It's dark. It's... um. Do you want me to talk about, you know, this book at all or just stop at that? Oh, I don't wanna... For sure. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to hear a little more. I remember, this is one that you brought up in your, your article about New Directions. Is kind it of is. This I mean, book. So, yeah. It had a lasting effect. I think part of it was this, uh, this humor um, that kind of spoke to me. And it's so black and so dark, the humor. Um, and kind of my mind, I think when you read a lot of New Directions books, your mind goes, oh, you're allowed to do that. And he says things and does things that are really, really dark. And a lot of people go, well, Celine is a stylist. And they leave it at that, which is kind of a disservice because his style is, uh, it's been mimicked. Um, I think he was a huge influence on Henry Miller, another New Directions author. But besides the style, it's what he's saying is actually really, really um, profound. I mean, man's inhumanity to man or humankind's inhumanity. Um how cruel we are to each other, the the, the, the heartbreak and the horror of war. He was a, a veteran of World War I. Um, and it, it's just very, very visceral. The writing is just absolutely visceral from the slums of Paris to, um, I think, Journey to the End of the Night, he goes all over the world. And these two books are kind of a pair. Um, and, um, and it's just, it's wholly original, the style. He has these ellipses and he captures the energy of speech. Um, and he uses a lot of what they call argot, like French gutter kind of gutter language, um, in a way. But he brings it up to the to the highest levels of literature. So um, he's a really, really he was a fantastic writer, uh, not so good human being. But I'll leave right. that, yeah, to <laughs> other people. You know, and I say that as as a Jewish person. So, um, yeah. but uh, but a really incredible writer. I think once you've read him, if you really get deep in, there's kind of a before and after. So. You said it's a pair with Journey to the End of the Night. Does it matter what order you read those in? Because I have Journey, but I don't have the other one yet. I think it kind of does. I don't think it's a deal breaker, uh, Paul. Mm -hmm. But Journey is usually the first one because okay. he is kind of the same character. And then um, Death on the Installment Plan is the second. A lot of people prefer Journey. Um, but he gets this style in Journey, and then he really just goes over the top um, with Death on the Installment Plan, where you see it's just littered with, I don't know if you can see, ellipsis. Oh, yeah. And um, But once you click in, it's not really a difficult read. It's just challenging because of the subject matter. Um, and there's moments of absolute hilarity. I mean, um, really, really funny. But he gets into the, uh, um, you know, there's sex scenes that are really just kind of like gross and dark and weird. And um, But he kind of says things that you're like, I can't believe he said that. Um, so, yeah, definitely Solomon Plane is one of my three. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't read either of those either. He's fan so. he's really incredible. Those two books, Journey and Death, are uh, are uh, are really monumental to me. They're really groundbreaking. And I mean, that's when I really got on the term dark humor. And he was a huge influence later on uh, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Philip Roth. So he's he's really an influential writer. I don't think people read him as much as read his influences these days. Mm -hmm. huh. Yeah. All right. Well, Paul, do you want to go? I'm kind. Of, I'm watching the time here, folks, right, to make right. sure that we. We get it, but yeah, <laughs> it's going to be tough to follow up, Mark. He's such a good oh, no. bookseller. Uh -huh. No, <laughs> every time you talk about a book, I'm like, I'm going to buy three copies oh. of that one. <laughs> uh, so the book that I'm going to start with is uh, Hawthorne and Child by Keith Ridgway. Yeah. 
So people who listen regularly might notice a theme with where a lot of my early book influences came from. I first heard about this one on John Self's Asylum blog, you know, years and years ago. Um, and I remember we were up in Aspen and I saw it on the shelf at the little independent bookstore there. And I couldn't believe it was like, you know, when you find one of those that you think you'll never be able to find, except maybe like online. And I saw it there and I just snatched it up right away. And, oh, this is such an odd but mesmerizing little book. Um, I don't know really how to introduce it better than just to read a, a short snippet of the copy. So it says Hawthorne and his partner child are called to the scene of a mysterious shooting in North London. The only witness is unreliable. The clues are scarce. And the victim, a young man who lives nearby, swears he was shot by a ghost car. While Hawthorne battles with fatigue and strange dreams, the crime and the narrative slip from his grasp and the stories of other Londoners take over. A young pickpocket on the run from his boss, an editor in possession of a disturbing manuscript, a teenage girl who spends her days at the Tate Modern, and a madman who's been infected by former Prime Minister Tony Blair. Haunting, these disparate lives is, oh, haunting these disparate lives is the shadowy figure of Mishazo, an elusive crime magnet who may be running the city or may not exist at all. So, you know, talk about a blurb that kind of stands for so much of what we were talking about with um, New Directions. Just yeah. exciting, weird, so confusing. Um, you know, I guess these could be described as either a very loosely connected set of short stories or maybe one novel that just kind of connects in some strange ways. But, you know... Ridgeway's writing is so good in a lot of ways it feels it starts out feeling kind of like a buddy cop like a weird haunted buddy cop story but then as they mentioned in that intro right when you feel like you're starting to understand maybe what this book might be about that section ends and off you go into the lives of these other Londoners that you know sometimes there'll be some connections to Hawthorne and Child often eh, not really um, but yeah it's just such an odd strange book and yeah, I don't know. I, I read it probably eight or nine years ago. And then I just read it again earlier this year. And I was, it, it hit me in exactly the same way. It was just so fun. I saw somebody describe Ridgeway as unapologetically strange. And I think that's a good way to, to describe him. Um, going back to John Self's blog, he says, this is a book which I read twice before reviewing it to unpick the connections, but also because I selfishly wanted the pleasure again. And now as I thumb the pages to write this and get nervous with excitement at seeing the best bits again, this time both fresh and familiar, I wonder if I can resist a third go. And that's kind of how I feel. Even when I was looking back to, to prepare a little bit for this episode, I was like, I just read this like three or four months ago and I was reading different snippets and stuff. And I'm like, man, it'd be <laughs> crazy if I picked this up and just started reading it again. So yeah, it, it's a great book. I don't know. Have either of you read that one? I think Trevor, you have? or I have read that one. Yeah, I haven't. So this is another one of those authors that, you know, this is the first book they published, but then they published uh, Never Love a Gambler in their, I think it's in their Pearl line, those little very slim books. Mm. And then uh, was it last year they published A Shock? A Shock, a shock yeah. Um, and I haven't read either of those, but I did love Hawthorne and Child. Um, yeah, I'll, I have not, but I've wanted to since it came out. It's one of those books I just have not gotten to, but yeah. Right. I think you would like it, both of you. I mean, or I guess, Mark, I guess you would yeah. like it. Um, and then A Shock is... I don't know if I liked it as much, but it has a lot of similarities with that whole idea of every time you start to feel like you're getting the hang of it, he just pulls the rug out from under you and off you go on another strange adventure. And there's some connections. And if you read it several times, you probably realize there's other connections you didn't even realize were there. But yeah, I don't know. He, Like I said, he kind of encompasses a lot of what I like about New Directions of just that unapologi unapologetically strange is a great way to say it. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I, I'm going to pick an obvious one for me. Paul, this won't <laughs> surprise you. And, and Mark, you said you're, you kind of avoided putting on, you know, Cesar Ira. Um, uh-huh. But the reason I chose Ghosts by Cesar Ira is I still remember very vividly going to a bookstore in, you know, around home in, in, when I was living in New Jersey. And this tiny, tiny book, barely visible on the shelf, it's slim, it's small, stood out to me and I realized, oh, that's a Cesar Ira book. I've been hearing a little bit about him um, around. He had just, that. well, the New Directions had just published an episode in the life of a landscape painter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard about that and then this came out. And so I picked it up and I went home and I read it all in one sitting and then I read it again. And it was my first Cesar Ira book. And also one of the first books that really got me to, to know New Directions. Um, after I published a review of it, that's when Laurie Callahan first reached out to me and said, hey, I liked your review. Um, can, can we, you know, send you some more books? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, let me think about it. <laughs> you know? um, and so it's a meaningful book for many reasons. Cesar Ira has remained one of my all time favorite authors ever since. I'm every time one of their catalogs come out, that's the first thing I look for. Are they publishing another Cesar Ira? I just, I, I love his work. I love how unpredictable it is, how slippery it is, and yet how it all feels like one big, huge project. You know, he's written what, 120 books at this point, little ones. His process, his the fun, and every time I'm reading, I'm like, I think I'm finally starting to understand. <laughs> and then I, but but they're just delightful in and of themselves. And this one's a very strange one, just so that I can give you a little bit of an introduction to it. Um, this is a book that takes place at like a construction site of a new luxury condominium on December 31st. And everyone's kind of preparing that night. They're going to have a party. And the the kind of, I think he's the construction manager, you know, um, who runs the place. He lives on the site with his family. And there are a bunch of ghosts, right? And Ira doesn't explain why they're there. No one seems afraid of them. They're just part of it. In fact, this guy really likes um, the ghosts because to prepare for parties and things, he goes and puts wine in their thorax area. <laughs> and then when he goes back to get it a couple of hours later, it's very cold. And when it says, it says, when he went back for it, say two hours later, it was cold. There were two things he hadn't noticed, however. The first was that during the cooling process, the wine came out of bottles and flowed like lymph all through the bodies of the ghosts. The second was that this distillation transmuted ordinary cheap wine, fermented in cement vats, into an exquisite matured Cabernet Sauvignon, which not even captains of industry could afford to drink every day. So these ghosts are not threatening in the in the typical sense but they do represent maybe something sinister more about our reality and about um, these characters' desires and such. Uh, the mom in particular is a little bit nervous about her daughter's fascination with the ghosts, and, and it kind of says she's not really nervous about bad influence, but um, Petri, this is the daughter, was given to building castles in the air. Certain chimerical spectacles could lead her to the utterly misguided belief that reality is everywhere. <laughs> and you got to read that and think, that doesn't make any sense. What are you, what are you talking about? Right. And, but it sounds intriguing. And so you think about it and you read this stuff and it starts to become 
a little bit more clear and yet not entirely graspable. You know, I don't fully understand it, but I love that even in the famous magician, which we just, you know, read Mark, they're still talking about this concept of reality and unreality. And it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. It really is tons of fun. And again, I appreciate it for that, but also this is one of the books that got me into them. So similar to your, uh, you know, death on the installment plan, Yeah, <laughs> just something meaningful for that reason alone. Absolutely. And a really quick side note, I know we, you know, we don't have a, a ton of time, but um, my first IRA was, uh, you know, a portrait or an episode mm-hmm. of the life of a landscape painter. Mm-hmm. And um, right. that book was such an influence that uh, just the miniature world that feels expansive when you're inside it, that uh, so the artist that he wrote, wrote about in that book, Johann Regandis, which was actually a real German landscape painter that went to South America to paint, the cover of Reinhardt's Garden is also a painting by that artist. So oh, I, love I feel it. like, you know, I've got the same artist cover of a painting that a Caesar Ira has. All right. You know, kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm cool by, you know, by default. But yeah, Caesar Ira's project is he he's fantastic. I love some more than I love others, but um, he is. Yeah not to talk about my writing, he's a huge influence on me as far as just um, the aesthetic, the, the miniature that, like I said, still feels expansive and, no. and you don't know where he's going to go. Like you said, um, Trevor, you think, oh, okay, now I think I got it. And then he just, he, he makes a left or a right. Yeah. Well, Reinhardt's garden beyond the cover reminds me of an episode in the life of a landscape painter, just the, say the, the, the journey, you know, the travel, the, the attention to, the landscape into what's going on at the obsession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Wonderful stuff. All Absolutely. right. Well, let, let's get to your next one, Mark. Okay. Another one. This is, uh, I think, uh, not expected from everyone is, uh, the last samurai by Helen DeWitt, um, which is so singular and such an outlier, I think in American literature, she's an American writer. I think she's lived in England though for decades. So she probably, I'm not going to speak for her, considers herself a British writer, but, I love this book. It's witty. It's very, very funny. A lot of books have to teach you how to read them. This is one of those books that I tried many times. I'm like, I, I, everyone called it a masterpiece, people whose opinions I really liked. But once I clicked, I gave it a couple more tries over the years. <clears throat> I, I understood. And once the book taught me how to read it, it's a very easy read. It's a very quick read, even though it's big. And the main idea that I got out of it, and there's tons of ideas, is um, – does this this thirst for knowing things and knowledge, does it make you a better person? Does it make your life more fulfilled? And there's no answer. I don't think there is an answer, but um, it's for those people like us who love ideas and, and, uh, and art and, um, you know, ex- exploring existence and what does it mean? And, um, and does being a genius make your life easier or harder or neither? And um, The Last Samurai is just really, really a great book and also very, very uh, funny. So I'll leave it at that. No, that's great. That's one that I have, I don't own, but I keep almost buying it. And and for some reason I have not yet pulled the trigger, but I. it's it, Yeah. Once you get to it, eventually you're going to love it. You really will. Yeah. It's, it's very funny. And the writing is just fantastic. And everybody just raves about it once they yeah. read it. You know, it seems like they evangelize anybody who yeah. it through. It's like instantly they're spreading the good word, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and quite different from the first book I read by her, which was Lightning Rods. Yeah, which I had not read. Yeah. That book shocked me to the point where I was like, I don't know if, I, if I'm if i as interested in The Last Samurai. Because it was, 
it was so confrontational, but the last wow. samurai was, was very different. And I'm excited because she's also got one of these storybooks coming. I out know, I know. It, it, it's called you know, this is pie, a, this isn't is it? A, no. Oh no, this is one you'll you'll love the title though, Paul. This is very intriguing. The English understand wool. <laughs> I like that. There yeah. you go. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Paul, what's your next one? Well, my next one is The Hour of the Star by Clarice Lispector, um, translated by Benjamin Mosier. So this is actually the the last two books I'm going to talk about. I I had a similar process to Mark where I was like, I could go to some of the ones that I think would be like the easy or low hanging fruit. But I was trying to think of some other ones that were on my shelf. And so actually I read a couple here in the last couple of weeks that I kind of just wanted to like reimmerse myself into the New Directions world. And this was one of them. So Man, this is another very odd but just fascinating little book. Um, as I've mentioned before, I've been meaning to read her short stories because I have their beautiful collected short stories by her, and I've dipped in and out a few times, but I figured this would be another good way to kind of start dipping my toe in. Um, so it takes place in Brazil, and it focuses on a woman named uh, Maccabea. She's struggling to survive in the slums of Rio. And so she's a typist. She doesn't make very much money. She sometimes struggles even to find enough to eat. She doesn't really have anybody who loves her or who is in her life. So it seems like a very sad life, but it's interesting because she's also very content in a lot of ways. And so it's this really fascinating character. There's just a couple of short descriptions about her that I'll read. It says, first of all, I must make it clear that this girl does not know herself apart from the fact that she goes on living aimlessly. Were she foolish enough to ask herself, who am I? She would fall flat on her face for the question, who am I? Creates a need. And how does one satisfy that need? To probe oneself is to recognize that one is incomplete. And then it says, she wasn't crying because of the life she led, because never having led any other, she'd accepted that with her, that was just the way things were. But I also think she was crying because through the music, she might have guessed that there were other ways of feeling. So Lispector just drops these little gems in there where she goes about it. And in a lot of ways, she doesn't know what she's missing, I guess, is one way to say it. And so she's kind of just le- leave it, le- uh, excuse me, leading this life. But then you'll get these little snippets where she does know that there's something missing. And so her as a character, she's just fascinating. But I think one of the things that makes this book especially interesting is there's this conceit where the narrator of the book is actually a writer who's writing about Maccabea. And so this, this writer will step in frequently and talk about how he's writing and creating the story in real time. So he will be telling the story of Maccabea, and all of a sudden he'll step back and say, you know, but this is starting to get a little melodramatic. I think I better, you know, <laughs> step back and, and take a short break or something. And there's a really interesting, I don't have it right in front of me, but Calm Toybin wrote the foreword for this, and he talks about something, how it's almost like you're behind stage at a big production of a play, and you're seeing all the, you know, the actors coming on and off stage or something like that. And so it's just, just really fascinating. It's already an interesting story a really beautiful, fragile character who's living her life. But then there's this added little wrinkle where the the narrator will step in and just take these moments like, I'm going to step away for a little while. I'll, I'll be back in a couple of days. And then he'll just you know disappear. And then in the next paragraph, he's like, okay, I'm back. I'm ready to go again. So it's just an, a very odd book, but I, I really liked it. It was propulsive. You could read it in one sitting. It's real tiny. So like I said, it was kind of a one that I hadn't, read anything by her too much until recently but really good stuff there you go it'll push you into that collection of short stories too. i know it really yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. all right so for my next one 
I picked another one that's very strange and also has an interesting narrator. And it's uh, Gert Hoffman's Lichtenberg and the Little Flower Girl, translated by his son, Michael Hoffman. I really like Michael's uh, translations, usually. This is a story about a, a real-life person, George Christoph Lichtenberg, who lived back in the uh, 18th century. Um, he was uh, one of these guys who did all kinds of things, but it really isn't famous for anything, other than he wrote some aphorisms that, that people, you know, in fact, NYRB Classics has a book of, the, of his aphorisms out there. But this is a book about him. He had a, he had a hunchback. He also fell in love, had a real-life romance with a very young flower girl he saw outside. So it's an uncomfortable book as well. And it's hard to even just say, well, that was just the time, you know, because there's stuff that Gert puts in here that shows it's still very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But it's also written with this verve. Um, here's the way it opens. It says, once, many, many years ago, Professor Lichtenberg pulled on his lecture coat and headed out. He wanted to see what the weather was doing. Because he was a vain fellow, he had silver buttons on his lecture coat. From time to time, he would lose one. Then he would go out crawling around his apartment in the wing of his of the house on the Gotmastrasse, crying, Where has it gone to now? As he scrabbled about among the chair legs, one thing became clear. He had a hunchback. Quick, let's write about it. <laughs> and I, I highlighted the let's. Like, who are we? What Are we doing this together, Gert? You know, who who is this narrator even? And it's just told in this really interesting style of uh, he'll often put and then question mark and then, you know, it's like he's pulling us through this story that maybe we wouldn't otherwise want to read at times. Yeah. Mm. And it's filled with exclamation points and it to the point where when he doesn't put an exclamation points, it's significant and stands out in a way that you're like, oh, this is something more grave is going on. So I'll leave it at that as a well, little bit of an intrigue. But you have you've laid down the gauntlet or you've won, really, because I've never heard or seen that book in my entire life. Oh, wow. I'll show it to you again. Yeah, I just <laughs> it. I'm like, I got to look at this. That's great. And I know Michael Hoffman is a trans. That's fantastic. I'm going to have to do uh, some some, uh, you know searching and, and get some for the story that's fantastic <laughs> well that was it that's a challenge i didn't even know i i had accepted but i'm yes. glad to have won <laughs> well, that makes me feel pretty special because i actually own a copy although i haven't read it but nice actually, the funny thing is i wonder often when i have a book that i'm like i don't know where i got that i might have gotten it because trevor either wrote about it or recommended it sure. i wouldn't be surprised if he's to credit yeah. for that so fantastic well let's this is maybe a lightning round for our last pick mm. yeah Okay, so my last one, which might be a little more uh, expected or not, um, is Fernanda Melkor's Hurricane Season. Um, so glad. Which, um, like um, The Last Samurai, in a way, books kind of teach you how to, how to read them. Um, and I know she's been compared to, to Faulkner, and I think uh, correctly so. As I tried, there's, I've been he hearing about this book for a year or two before it came into English, just from having Latin American friends. And, uh, and I know Sophie Hughes, the translator on the Buzz was was tremendous and i couldn't wait i couldn't wait and it came out and i couldn't click with it i love the writing but it's one of those books where like well who's talking who you know and i kind of lost my way and i gave up after like 20 pages uh and i kept wanting to go back and toward the end of the year it came out i guess last year or the year before i think 2020 i need to give it another shot and it just clicked and that was it and then once i saw what she was doing it was like oh my god and I don't know. I think this book has legs. I think they'll be reading this in 50 or 60 years. I mean, I think it's, um, if there's something very, very, um, 
eternal about it. I mean, the, the style, the writing, but what she's writing about. Um, yeah, it's just dark. It's visceral. When I when I sell it at the store, I just say it's kind of a, a gothic um, Faulkner in a Mexican village, really. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, the witch is murdered. Who is the witch? It goes into the different points of view. Have you both read it? I have not, it but, is, I, but I'm going to now. <laughs> it is so incredible. And it's, um, and I read an interview recently where she said she kind of modeled it and then it made sense. It's my favorite Garcia Marquez book. She modeled it a bit after, um, the autumn of the patriarch where it's mm-hmm. one scene, uh, in his book, the, 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 the leader, the dictator dies and they go into the, the castle or the, the presidential palace and find his body. And then it goes backwards in each section, which is pretty big is that same story with a different point of view. So a woman is murdered in the village. She's known as the witch and each point of view, uh, each chapter will say 20, 30 pages is a different kind of point of view about what occurred. So you see one character and in the next section, you're like, Oh, they're tied into this person. And it's, it is so, I, I use this word a lot. It's so visceral. And it's, um, I mean, if it was a movie, it would be NC-17. They're, the drug use and the sex is so in your face. Mm-hmm. And yet the way it is written is um, the stuff of great literature. It's written so beautifully that um, it's not done for shock value at all. But Fernanda Melkor is like the real deal. I mean, she is um, she is just incredible. I read this book and when it clicked, I'm like, this is just a, a masterpiece. So Hurricane Season is fantastic. I love her new book as well. Um, but the scope is a lot more uh, kind of slender, and this one's a little more expansive. Once you click in with the language, you just kind of you're off and running. So I'm so glad nice. you picked that. I very easily could have picked that as one of mine, but I figured I was hoping maybe you would pick it. And also, I've talked right. about it a few other times on the podcast. Um, I yeah. just read her new one this last yes. week, and you're right; it has that same energy and propulsiveness. It does it's much tighter scope, like you said. But oh, she's amazing. She really is. I mean, she's kind of in another field in a way. I mean, she's doing her thing and she owes a lot to other writers and styles, and, but, um, but she's d- doing what no one I think is doing right now with those kind of influences and um, just incredible. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, Mark, maybe the best way to do this would be to say goodbye to you. Cause I know you have to leave. And Paul and I can, can, can wrap this up. That's right. You're doing you're yes. doing important work. I will yeah. just show you the book that I have for my third, just so oh, that you yes. can. The Amatis, yes. Villa Amatis, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, am I allowed to say that? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. sure, sure. Okay. There's no no spoiling. Yes. Okay. Urban. Okay. Yes. That way I'm you can be a part of it still. <laughs> I love it. Think in spirit. I almost yeah. picked uh, The End of Days, guys, from Urban Beck. Yeah. Uh, yes, which <laughs> is a favorite. Guys, this was such a pleasure. Thank you for having Thank me you. on. Thank um, you. Thank you. I always say books are like um, are it's their own language, and you end up having these friendships where I feel like I've known you guys forever because, uh, you know, once you go, have you read that book? You go, yes. It's like mm-hmm. you guys, we have a shared experience. Instant connection, uh, absolutely. It is instant connection, exactly. So um, I can't think of a better way to say uh, goodbye. But guys, thanks for having me on, and I can't wait to, to listen to the our pleasure. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mark. Thank you, and Mark. good luck this today. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I need it these days with uh, with retail. But um, have a great weekend. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, now it's just you and me, Paul. Again. Together again. (laughs) Um, But that was a lot of fun. Uh, But what we had to let Mark go. He had to go and do important work at the bookstore. We're not ever going to hold anyone up from doing that. No, the most important work of all. (laughs) So, but we, we do want to come back now and finish it out with our own last choices and, 
now we won't be so rushed. I apologize. I probably rushed you on a few of those as we were getting closer to his, his cutoff time. I thought, oh no, we're just going to have to say the names. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm glad we got some time with Mark and, and it's more important that he has plenty of time to talk yeah. because people can hear from us anytime. Exactly. Yeah. Including right now. Exactly. Paul, let's, let's luxuriate All right. in your last pick here. Perfect. Well, my last pick is Visitation by Jenny Erpenbeck. Um, I've read several of her books now, The Book of Words and Go Went Gone, among a few others. And this past week, I got a chance to, you know, like I said, I wanted to kind of revisit a few new directions, or not revisit, but just visit for the first time a few New Directions titles and decided to pick this one up. And man, it is so good. Um, I've talked before about how fascinating I find books that spend a lot of time in one location. You know, there was that book called The Meadow by Tim Galvin. And then I've talked about some of the other maybe like more nonfiction style books where, you know, it'll look into one geographic location over a period of time. And this kind of does that as well. So it basically focuses in on this forested property that's on a lake outside of Berlin. And it kind of just looks at this property over the course of about 100 years of German history. So it begins in the 19th century but then it also covers people's lives during the Weimar Republic, World War II, the Socialist German Democratic Republic. And then it even goes into like the reunification of the country and kind of the aftermath of all that. And so over the course of this period of time, we're taken in and out of the lives of these 12 different people who are connected to this lakefront house in various ways. So it's a really interesting premise. And, you know, over the course of these time of this time, we spend a little bit of uh, time with a Jewish family who owns the property back in the thirties. And then they're forced to sell it um, while they wait for visas to escape the Nazis. And then, you know, a few decades later, there's an architect who goes in and renovates the house or there's members of the Russian army who requisition the property and live there for a time. And it just goes on and on like that. So it's really interesting. And, and another thing that's interesting is scattered in like pretty much the only repeat character is there's this gardener. And he pops in for his own chapters, maybe every three or four chapters, he'll come back in. And he lives there for decades, taking care of this property. And these sections are really short. And it's interesting, they're kind of repetitive. They'll just go through his daily tasks of him watering the plants and pruning the plants and everything like that. But it provides this odd stability through this otherwise very chaotic time. But then the interesting thing is then eventually we start to see both him and the property age and kind of deteriorate. So it's a really interesting um, book. I've not read anything like it that I can think of. And I was just going to give one quick snippet since we have a chance to luxuriate. Um, you know, that middle section of Virginia Woolf's to the lighthouse called time passes where it takes decades just within a few pages and it rushes you not rushes, but I mean, it zips through these and you just feel the passage of time in this really amazing way. Well, there's the section of here. It's not exactly the same, but it reminded me a little bit of that where there's a woman who's recalling her memories from the lake house. So I'll just read a little bit of that. It says, and so the years pass and are like one single year, whether the cockchafer plague was in 37 or maybe one year later is something she can no longer say, but she can still remember the sound to this day, the noise it made when she was out for a bicycle ride with her niece, rolling over the beetles that had transformed the sandy road into a dark teeming surface. She hasn't forgotten the cracking beneath her tires. All summers like one single summer, whether it was 38 or 39, or perhaps even 1940, when they begin to use the dock belonging to the abandoned property next door, and when her husband built the boathouse beside the dock, she's no longer sure quite when that was. Surely he hadn't built the boathouse until the next door property already belonged to them, but when was that? 
summer after summer, swimming, sunbathing, and picking raspberries at the edge of the woods, across from the house, autumn after autumn, hearing the gardener rake up the leaves in the garden, smelling him burning the musty heap, winter after winter, speeding across the frozen lake on the ice yacht, and afterwards taking in the sail with fingers frozen red and quickly ducking into the, home, into the house, warming her hands at the stove until they hurt, Easter after Easter, hard, hiding hard-cooked eggs among the first flowers for her nephews and nieces, all like a single one. And it goes on like that, but it's just really fascinating. There's some really interesting passages like that, but it's not all rosy or anything like that. There's a lot of hurt and loss and memory and war and all kinds of stuff going on. So for a slim book, this one is just packed with all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, I would highly recommend anybody who hasn't read Jenny Erpenbeck to give her a try. And this book in particular, I think is just fascinating. So have you read anything by her, Trevor? Yeah, I've read, um, I have read this one. I've read Visitation. And I think I've read a couple of the other ones, but right now I can't remember which ones. I can't remember if it was Go Went Gone or The End of Days. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I did not ever read The Book of Words, which was short or long listed for the 2008 Independent Foreign Fiction Prize. Mm. Um, But I've read, I've read two of them the other ones. And I just can't okay. remember which of those other two it is, which is unfortunate, but I did want to mention, um, I, I don't, and, and I, I'm sure we've missed this several times in our podcast, but this was uh, translated by Susan oh, Bernofsky. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And she does a great job. I think throughout the, you know, giving, there's a lot of wordplay in mm-hmm. this book that she translates really well. It couldn't have been easy. <laughs> no, no, I'm really glad you mentioned that because, yeah, she did an absolutely masterful job. And I was reading a, a review in The Guardian by Michelle Faber, and he, you know, he specifically calls out her translation saying just how good it is. And like you said, I think Erpenbeck, she's she's playful and experimental. And like you said, that can't make it easy for translators to have to deal with. And the fact that it works so seamlessly you know, says a lot about her skills as well. So thank you for mentioning that. And in that same review, um, Michael Faber, he's kind of, or Michelle Faber, I'm not sure. I think it's Michelle. He talks about how she is relatively not well known in England in particular. And I feel like that's kind of true in the United States. And he calls her one of the finest, most, most exciting authors alive, which is pretty high praise coming from him. And so I think it's, it's interesting that she does have some, some people who are singing her praises, but she remains, I think, relatively unknown, you know, for, for how good she is. So I'm hoping that she'll continue to kind of build some buzz up. Yeah. Well, and uh, just thinking of Susan Bernowski, I was trying to see if there's any update on her translation of the magic mountain, Mm. uh, which is one of your top books of last year. Yeah. Uh, But I'm not, I'm not seeing anything specific. It just says soon to be published with W.W. Uh, Norton. Okay. But I don't know I don't know what soon means. I mean, I if I had a book that size, soon would be like, I might get it done in the next 10 years. That's exactly. pretty soon. <laughs> I know. And I think I misspoke when I had originally was talking about that on one of our episodes. I think I had said that I had read somewhere that it was coming out, you know, within next the next year or so. And I looked back and either either I misread it or maybe that was taken down, but I don't know that 
they've given any specific, you know, time frame like that. Maybe it was just me giving some wishful thinking. <laughs> well, I'll see if I can find something. I'll maybe I'll reach out to folks at Norton just to see if they have any insight, but they might not. They might not yeah. know exactly yet themselves. But at any rate, yeah, Jenny Erpenbeck, definitely someone I haven't. I wonder when her last. Um, you know, what have we gotten from her most recently? I think Go Went Gone was the most recent, as far as I know, that's been translated, um, which came out, well, that was 2015, so that might not be right, actually. Yeah, there's n- there's not a novel that, I don't know exactly when that was published. Do you have the, because I, the reason that I'm asking is it seems like we got a whole bunch of her stuff in... Mm-hmm in a few years and then i haven't seen too much for a while not that that's you know says it looks like visitation came out in 2008 in the german and then translation copyright is 2010 yeah that's when i read that one Mm -hmm. the the visitation it looks like new directions is you know talking of authors that they kind of uh, they stick with them you know Mm -hmm. they first published the old child and other stories and then they published the book of words and then visitation and then the end of days, and then go went gone, and then I see one here that I that is uh, not a novel, which I don't remember um, when that came out, but I imagine that was the last one. So just again, you, you get their catalogs and you see these familiar names, and you love their prior work, and oh, it's so fun. I know. Um, well, I'm looking at that <laughs> trusted resource that you know is never wrong called Wikipedia, yes. and I see listed under works. Under novels, there's something from 2021 called Kairos or Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. So I would assume that's obviously the German because yeah. it doesn't have, you have a translation. Maybe that's something that somebody is working on currently or will soon work on that we'll get to see here in a, a couple of years or so. <laughs> but all right. Well, let me get to my last one. So again, authors, this particular author that I'm going to bring up if I look down at his part on my shelf, I've got um, one of the first books I ever got from New Directions called Bartleby and Co. Mm-hmm. And Never Any End in Paris was the first book I read by him. I absolutely adored Dublinesque. Um, the year that I was talking about with Mark Haber that we were judges of the Best Translated Book Award, we review, or you know, we had to to kind of read and check out Vampire in Love, a collection of his short stories, and then we've got a couple that I absolutely loved. There's the Logic of Cassell, and another one called Because She Never Asked. This is the author Enrique Villamatas, mm. and I love his works. And I'm going to talk about one that just took me completely by surprise. It's this one called Max Problem. Have you read this one yet, Paul? Do you know I this have, one? No, I mean I've seen it on the bookshelf, and I've I but I do not yet own it. I have several of his other ones, but not that one. So this is translated by a few of our favorite translators, Margaret Joel Costa mm-hmm. and Sophie Hughes. Oh. Um, and it's got a fun cover, the original paperback. Um, you can kind of see it there, but it's textured, and this particular upper square is actually indented into the paper. Oh, cool. So it's like you've got these colored squares in the indent. I and mean, again, it's just one of these books that you pick it up and you're like, I can't wait to to read this and see what's what's going on, you know, inside of this. But Villamatis, his his books are are very um elusive to other books. You know, we talked about this uh, a few uh, weeks ago when we talked about um, aphasia 
that mm-hmm. uh, for our assigned reading episode on that short book. And Mac's problem is kind of similar. Dublin-esque is a bunch of you know references to James Joyce. The Never Any End, Never Never Any End in Paris is a lot of Hemingway and things like that. But this one is just fun. And I'm going to start it out. Here's Mac. I'm fascinated by the current vogue for posthumous books, and I'm thinking of writing a fake one that could appear to be posthumous and unfinished when it would, in fact, be perfectly complete. Were I to die during the writing process, the book really would be my final interrupted work. And that would, among other things, ruin my great dream of becoming a falsifier. (laughs) Then again, a beginner must be prepared for anything, and I am just that, a debutante. My name is Mac. Perhaps because I am only a beginner, the best and most sensible thing would be to wait a while before attempting anything as challenging as a fake, posthumous book. Given my status as a writing novice, my priority will be not to launch straight into that last book or to create some other kind of fake but simply to put pen to paper every day and see what happens. And then there might come a time when, feeling more prepared, I decide to make a stab at that book falsely interrupted by my death, disappearance, or suicide. For the moment, I will content myself with writing this diary, which I am starting today, feeling utterly terrified, not even daring to look in the mirror for fear of catching sight of my head hunched down inside my shirt collar. As I said, my name is Mac. I live here in the Coyote District. I am sitting in my usual room as if I'd been sitting here forever. I'm listening to Kate Bush and Bowie's lined up next. Outside, the summer looks set to do its worst. And Barcelona is preparing, so the weathermen say, for a sharp rise in temperatures. I'm called Mac, and he kind of keeps going. You know, he's kind of (laughs) raveling along. That's a kind of a long introduction, but... I really like this book. It's so strange. This this Mac, he's unemployed. Um, he basically lives on earnings from his wife, and again, he, he I think he's sixty ish or so. He's you know toward the that part of his life, and mm-hmm. decides oh, I'll write this diary, and maybe it'll turn into once it's gone far enough into my fake posthumous book. <laughs> <laughs> so it it gets crazy, and he kind of gets a little bit, you know, crazy and all, but mm. this was just a fun, you know, kind of has that verve. I think that's the kind of writing that I can just fall into. Cause I'm like, oh, what yeah. is going on? Who is this fella? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that strong narrative voice, I'm sure there's plenty of exceptions because new directions has such a wide range of titles, mm-hmm. but I was thinking about like with the, uh, the specter book that I read and that one, like that really quirky, but strong narrative voice seems to be one thread that runs through a lot of their books where there's just that energy and, often some humor that that passes yeah. through and that one sounds like a great one i read dublin-esque by him and yeah it has not the same voice but it definitely has that same type of feel to it i have a few others of his i have bartleby and co the illogic of cassell and never any end to paris of those three any recommendations on which one do you think i i should pick up next i really love the illogic of cassell and bartleby and co never any end to paris was my first one And I remember writing it and kind of thinking, I think I missed the boat on this one. You know, kind of, it's my first time with him. I don't think I know as much about Hemingway as maybe I should in order to get this book. But the one that I would recommend besides Max Problem, um, I do do really love The Logic of Cassell and Bartleby and Co. 
but I adore um, Because She Never Asked, which mm. is one of their little pearl books here. It's these little, these little pocket-sized oh, editions. Yeah. Because She Never Asked is a story reminiscent of Patricia Highsmith's Strangers on a Train. The author writes a piece for the artist Sophie Caillé to live out. A young French aspiring artist travels to Lisbon and the Azores in pursuit of a writer. The second part of the story tells what happens between the author and Caillé herself. She eludes him, and he gets writer's block and suffers physical collapse. As Villamatis writes, In order to give meaning to the story of my life, I found that I needed to present it as fiction. It's, it's a weird little book, and this, is, this one's translated by Valerie Miles. It's a very weird book of parts that refers in, interior to itself. Mm. And goes in different directions, you know. Um, it's almost uh, pieces of it are fictional to its own world, and he's chasing down this actress. I remember, and I, I don't remember. I, I should sit down and read it again. I could because it's ninety pages, um, but I remember just loving it. There's a lot. I have a lot of notes in it as I as I speed through here. <laughs> yeah, I remember there's that. a lot of like um, imposters and doppelgangers and him, uh, you know. Maybe similar to Mac's problem, just this idea of fictionalizing life. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really good. And just your description of it, I'm like, how could he fit all that into that little tiny 90 page book that he fits in the palm of your hand? It's amazing what some of these authors can do. <laughs> and uh, that's another thing, too. Let's, let's end with this, or we can end with something else. But one of the points that I forgot about New Directions publishes short books. They publish mm-hmm. long books, but this book is 90 pages and yeah, it's what $10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I love that they do that. You know, a lot of publishers don't publish novellas, but they have, I have a big part of my shelves here that I'm looking over my shoulder at that are these little pearl volumes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're tiny. There's books. There's the Keith Ridgeway, uh, never love a gambler that I'm looking at here. There's a Borges, everything into nothing. Um, they have the, they have the Gogols, the no, the, the night before Christmas rather, um, Javier Marias, bad nature or with Elvis in Mexico. Um, you know, they just, they have the ability and the, and the care to say, you know what, you published this tiny book. We're going to still put it out. We're not going to say, Oh, you'll have to wait until we get a big collection. Right. You know, and no, these, absolutely. these little storybooks that Mark was talking about earlier are going to be deluxe editions of very short novellas. Yeah. And I just love that they, that they make that a part of their, of their publishing work. It can't be the most cost effective books to publish. I wouldn't think, but no, but like you said, I love that. It's almost like those small books of poetry you can fit in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact that it's this little treasure that you can take around with you and it, yeah, like you said, it may not be cost effective for them, but it also kind of shows the the value of literature. And mm-hmm. it's not all like, you know, there's not some formula of how much it should cost based on the number of pages, because some of those tiny books end up being some of your very favorites, even though they're yeah. you know, not that many pages. Well, I have yeah. something to propose just to close this out if you want to. Sure. Well, t- two things. So I was thinking, <laughs> do you have any honorable mentions that you didn't get to oh. mention? And well, you did are... allow me to do the, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm oh, no. You did allow me to do the Because She Never Asked by Villamatis. Yeah. It was really hard to choose between that and Max's problem. So that was mm. definitely a cheat. Um, yeah. 
No. But, and the only reason I ask, cause I had a few that, that yeah, just um, an inventory of losses by Judith Shalansky and yeah. um, in memory of memory by Maria Stepanovo. I've, I've talked a little bit about both of those on this, but I just wanted mm-hmm. to mention, and then one more, tell them of ba- of battles, Kings and elephants by Matthias and art. Oh, those yeah. three are all just wonderful books. So I thought I would try to sneak those in. Yeah. I, they really are so many. I mean, we didn't talk about the fact that they've published a ton of Muriel spark books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they were friends, you know, Muriel spark and Barbara Epler were, were friends oh. and, and they published a lot of her books. Again, they published the WG Zabald books up until Austerlitz. It's mm-hmm. actually one thing that is kind of a downer. They often will develop these authors. And then when the authors get big, they lose the, 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 the rights or the, you know, the author goes to a bigger publishing company. Um, you know, Zabald with Austerlitz went, um, went out for that book. Um, and it's the same with Marius, Javier Marius. They published a ton of his books and they're a big reason why he became known in the English speaking world. And then he's at Knopf, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Bolaño, the same kind of thing. Um, Roberto Bolaño, he, they published a, a lot of his books, but then the big ones, you know, the estate chose, we're going to take, you know, you, we want you to keep on publishing some of these little ones, but we're going to take the Savage Detectives. We're going to take mm-hmm. 2666. And eventually now they're taking everything to, you know, like Penguin and and FSG did uh, 2666. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love those publishers too. And I get I get the, the, the that choice there, but it is it is kind of a sad thing as as you look at some of these these authors, but yes, again, they're the reason that I know Krasna Horkai. And they're the reason that I know and love the works of Javier Marias. And so those are definite. If I were doing a list of actual books that probably mean the most to me, Mm -hmm. it would have been very predictable of Zabald. You know, I would have had to pick a book by Marias. Ira, I already did that, but Krasna Horkai, how do you leave him off of a list when you're talking about new directions? I mean, I know. I was wondering if the three of us, between you, me, and Mark, if we were all so not worried, but we were thinking the other people would cover certain authors that we all three backed off, and which I kind of like because we did yeah. some that were a little more not obscure, but a little you know not the obvious ones. But I yeah. was kind of wondering if that might happen. Like we all thought we would pick Bologna, so nobody did, for example, or something like that. But I think, it, I, and I was glad for that too. We 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 shared the um, author initials. And mm-hmm. I was the last one to pick. So I knew no one had picked Roberto Bolaño yeah. or Cesar Ira or Zabald. And so I could have done it. But I think I thought, you know, we'll we'll have a moment to talk about honorable mentions or at least these yeah, other authors. Exactly. So people know we're, we didn't just leave them off. And if you haven't read them, clearly we are fans oh, yeah. of, of these authors. Um, probably they bring have them these... up in every other episode anyways. So. <laughs> Let, let's take just a second, too, to celebrate the, you know, we talked about how they published these little novellas. Mm-hmm. How about these gigantic books in a box? Oh, you know, yeah. B.S. Johnson's The Unfortunates comes in oh, a box because it's that. unbound. You can open it up and read the chapters in any order. You can shuffle it. Yeah. I think they come in different orders. And I, I treasure that book. And Ann Carson's books of poetry are often very unique. And again, I can't imagine these are, you know, the most cost effective way to produce them, but they look gorgeous it's the you know Knox, for example is again a book in a box and it's an accordion book you pull it out and it just keeps on Mm. going you know you can walk down the hallway with it and it stretches down the hallway um 
they have the microscripts by Valser, which has a facsimile, beautiful facsimiles, not these just rough copies of the actual papers that he wrote the, you know, these little microscripts in. And then on the other side of the page, they have the, the, the text themselves. They, they did the same thing with some Emily Dickinson poems. Um, again, they value the production of oh, their, yeah. of their books and long live new directions for, you know, for doing so. I, 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 I'm thrilled that they've stuck around for nearly a century now and I hope they I keep going. Me too. It's amazing. Well, the only other thought I had was, and this might be no pressure, but if you were to pick two or three that might be the next New Directions books that you either own or that you want to read, um, do you have any on, on your list? I, I can start and just say I've had The Book of Disquiet by Fernando Pessoa up on my oh. kind of stack of like big, kind of daunting books only because I realized that they're going to take an investment of like emotion and time, but I'm really looking forward to that one. And then compass, which Mark listed Mm -hmm. as one of his favorites. I've never actually read that one. And that one is one that I want to read soon. And then um, maybe a two way tie. I'm really cheating here. The complete stories of Clarice Lispector, like I keep mentioning (laughs) and then Borges. I have to, you know, even though he didn't win our uh, (laughs) summer book contest, I still want to pick him up and read that soon. So I cheated. And if you don't have any, that's fine. But I was just looking at my stack when I was trying to think of which ones to talk about. And I'm like, man, there's a lot that I own that I really need to read. There, I, I, it, it is that way. It's not because I don't have any that I'm thinking about. Like I have had the Fernando Melkor books, the Paradise and um, the Hurricane Season. Um, you brought up Olga Ravin's The Employees mm-hmm. earlier in the year. That sounds like a, a, a great one. I did start and I've been reading Lucky Breaks by Evgenia uh, Belarusets. It's a little bit different. It's a it's a book of pictures and literature around those pictures. It's a it's she's kind of documenting a, like a an impoverished part of the Ukraine or of Ukraine. Mm. Um, and that's, again, just, you know, one of these that that is great. And I did start last night scattered all over the earth, the Okotawadas. Yeah. If I'm looking back on some that I've had for a little while, but have not yet read, um, let me give me just a couple seconds to. Yeah. If you keep giving me breaks, I'm just going to keep adding more that I want to keep reading because I've already mentioned I read uh, Satan Tango and I would <laughs> like to continue to go through those and, and maybe Melancholy yeah. of Resistance would be one that I would like to pick up soon as well. The list could go on and on for days. So the, the, there's a, a line of, they, they've been publishing, re, again, really lovely produced books by Dag Stolstad. Mm-hmm. Um, these are usually fairly short. There's Armand V. Um, let's see if I can find what the other ones are. I have them all. Um, so give me, this is a Norwegian writer. They have Novel 11, Book 18. That was uh, about... 15 years ago up for the independent book for or independent foreign fiction prize in England. And, you know, they've brought it out. Um, they have professor Anderson's night, which I did read. And I love this one. It's a, it's like a little murder mystery on Christmas Eve, but it's a lot more than that. It's, it's, it's so much more than that. They have T singer. Um, but let me, I'm going to show you these covers. Cause I think you'll be, oh, so wow. they're just fun little pictures where they, they have very simple drawings, but kind of evocative. And again, they're covered on they're this textured paper 
for the covers. They're just so fun to, oh, to wow. hold. Those are striking. Yeah. So those are ones that I've had on the shelf for a while that I'm like, okay, it's about time for me to just mm-hmm. sit down and read all of his. I'll do that after I read this one. <laughs> I know. Exactly. But one of my favorite things about doing these episodes, whether it's a publisher or some of these other ones where we're pouring, pulling books off our shelves for various reasons, is that not all of them are making their way back onto the shelves where they can hide. I'm trying mm-hmm. to set some of them into stacks where they're going to hopefully prompt me to, to you know dig into some of these that have been on there. So yeah, so many good choices. Well, and these these publisher episodes just remind me of how, how rich we are with oh, these options because would I... Would I even know where to begin if I said, well, I'll, I'll, I only have one publisher that I can ever buy from again. NYRB Classics, Archipelago, New Directions, you know, some that we've still got in the lineup that we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about. I wouldn't want to get rid of any one of them if I was ever forced into that, you know, weird cosmological question <laughs> of, right. you know, of an alternate reality. But we have an opportunity for, for listeners who are listening to this episode the day it is released. Um, tonight, Paul and I will be in conversation. This is Thursday, June 30th. We will be in conversation with Tess Lewis, translator, um, about Archipelago Books with the Odyssey Bookshop, a little, you know, a, a, an independent bookstore in Massachusetts. You know, I, I'll still be here in Utah, Paul. I imagine you'll be in Colorado. <laughs> I imagine so. But we'll be able to do that that conversation. And so we'll be talking about archipelago books here in a few days for us and tonight for listeners who just download this and listen to it right away and i just can't wait you know know. right now i'm like okay i've got the rest of today kids go do screens whatever you want i'm gonna read these new directions books i'm gonna read these archipelago books oh you know (laughs) there's so many (laughs) i was just saying to my wife earlier today like i wish i could just figure out a way to just you know retire because i was looking at my book my bookshelves and just all these books that I've pulled down and like you said, all, from all these different publishers. And I was thinking just one publisher, I could read them for an entire year and just dive deep and then start on a new one. I mean, it's like you said, the, uh-huh. the wealth of riches that we have is amazing. And the work of all these wonderful authors and the translators and the curators and the publishers. It's just amazing what these small presses, like Mark said, some of them have three, five, ten people running this yeah. whole press. And yet they are bringing so much yeah. pleasure and knowledge and you know, everything into this, into the world. It's amazing. Yeah. All of the ones we've talked about, the three we've talked about so far are very small operations. Mm-hmm. Um, we've probably, I, I've probably talked to most of the employees at these various places, um, you know, through, through the last decade or so as I've yeah. gotten to know them and they're, they're warm, they're enthusiastic and, you know, they're doing great work. We'll also and, throw in a plug here for uh, Mark, you know, that kind of work of a bookseller, vital to this whole enterprise for us oh, yeah. and for them. And so it just was a pleasure to have him on. I hope we get him back someday for another topic. Maybe we'll have to, you know, have a, a special episode about his books because I do love them. That was not me. And I know, I know no. you know this. That mm-hmm. was not me just trying to flatter him. No. These books are great. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're repeating ourselves, but anybody who hasn't picked up his books, I would absolutely recommend them. They're both wonderful. And I mean, seriously, I, when I've reached out to him and asked for book recommendations, he will email me, you know, six or seven books with like, <laughs> descriptions of what's going on. And I've ordered from him several times. I mean, 
I'm sure he would do that for other people. And he is just an amazing curator and uh, an amazing proponent of some of these books. So yeah, I would encourage anybody to reach out to him for that too, because he's got great taste for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm the very, like I'm benefiting from the work of all of these other people. And then I'm able to share it with some people who, you know, look to us. So yeah. we're also grateful for, you know, our ability to get together and chat about these things. We hope it's helpful for people um, and exciting and just gets that joy. You know, again, we, we can't go out and read all these books we want to tonight. I probably won't be able to read very much tonight because of the kids, you know, and things that are going on with family. But the excitement that it's there and um, that we're able to talk about it is awesome. And like Mark said, as he signed off, you know, when you start talking to other people about books and this enthusiasm, it creates just this wonderful community and mm-hmm. it's something that's needed and vital and and for me uh, that oh, I yeah. that I really love. Nope, I love it. I can't wait to hear everybody's choices for the new directions titles. You know, mm-hmm. be sure to send those in. But again, as we always say, reach out to us for any other reason. We love to hear from you. It's so much fun, and just all these friendships in this community that's forming is is wonderful. I love every minute of it. Yep. All right, Paul. Any other words? I, part of me hates to go. You know, it's been I so know. fun, but I also I am also starting to feel like. I'm just blathering on to make people sit here and continue the, you know, including you at this point. So I'll, I'll, no. guess I'll, I'll let us go. <laughs> I guess we should let it go. But I think it's what it is, is just the passion that we have. I mean, sometimes it just bubbles up and I love every minute of talking about it. So no, no need to apologize. I'm right there with you. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, listeners, thanks so much. Get the giveaway um, emails coming. Um, I can't wait to see who wins and to get those, those packages delivered to your door. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time.